Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 211 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I mean, cue the celebration. It's a very big day. First of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everybody who has sent encouraging notes. For those of you who have had a chance to read, didn't see it coming, man. Uh, Some of your comments have really moved myself and my wife and uh, our team very deeply, in some cases, to tears. Uh, Just thank you. You guys have been so positive. What is today? Today is launch day for my brand new book. It's called Didn't See It Coming, Overcoming the Seven Greatest Challenges That No One Expects and Everyone Experiences. And in the book, I go through, uh, well, some of the biggest personal struggles and challenges not only I've faced as a leader in the last few decades, but as I've talked to hundreds, well, actually thousands of leaders, I realized I'm not alone. And so we, we tackle in the book uh, how to overcome cynicism, um, how to avoid moral compromise, uh, disconnection. You know, why is it that we are so technically connected, like even via podcast, but so many people feel so alone? Irrelevance. How do you make sure you stay relevant as a leader, you know? Uh, what about this pride? Believe it or not, and although we'll talk about it this week in another episode of the podcast, it's not just the narcissists. So many of us are just insecure. And then how about burnout? I've been through that and emptiness. Why is it when you get to the top and you're grateful, you still don't feel full? Those are some of the issues that I think not only sink leaders, but they also have the potential to just cap your leadership. So let's say there's never a bad story. Let's say you keep your job forever, whatever. Those are the things that will keep you from being the leader that you're capable of being. And not only the leader at work, but the person at home. I mean, I think these are the things that can undermine your marriage, your parenting, your friendships. And that's why I wrote Didn't See It Coming. And today on the podcast, Uh, as I was thinking, okay, who do I want to interview me on this book? Somebody I've gotten to know over the last year, both my wife and I have gotten to know her and her husband, uh, Daryl. The person that came to mind is Ann Voskamp. And uh, as I've gotten to know Ann over the last year, uh, she's one of the most inquisitive people I know. The first time I met her in a green room in New Jersey last fall, when we messaged back and forth, but never met face to face, I couldn't get a word in edgewise because Anne was just like so many questions and it's so refreshing to see somebody who's so curious. And so uh, my wife and I have been down to her farm. If you've read her books, you you know who Anne is. She's amazing. She's a multiple New York Times bestselling author working on a new book herself. But my wife, Tony, and I went there, had a meal with her and her family. And uh, then I drove back down and we went to an old abandoned church <laughs> that, uh, that we got access to and uh, just had this amazing conversation where Anne talked to me about the story behind the book. So uh, this is Anne Voskamp's interview of me. If you don't know Anne's work, you've got to read her writing. She is genius level writing. I'm hoping some of her magic pixie dust <laughs> rubs off on me at some point. Uh, so I hope you find this a really refreshing, honest conversation and it gives you some of the backstory uh, to my story, to your story, and to the book. Uh, It was a a very energizing conversation for me. So thank you, Anne, for doing that. 
And uh, thank you for all you do for leaders. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. If you want more, the book is available everywhere you can get books. It's a Waterbrook Penguin Random House release. Uh, audiobook is available today. Uh, it's in hardback and also on Kindle. And uh, yeah, I'm just really excited about it. If you want more information, just go to your favorite bookseller or go to Didn't See It Coming Book. Dot com. Man, I want to thank all of you podcast listeners for everything you do. I know you're in the trenches every day. I really hope this helps you. Um, well, as we say around here, lead like never before. But even deeper than that, I hope it helps you thrive in life and leadership. Well, now that Labor Day is here and gone, are you really ready for the fall? Uh, a lot of church leaders would say, well, you know, kind of. And one of the things that sometimes gets missed is training. And that's why I'm so grateful for trainedup.church. They do an incredible job helping churches take their training online so that, you know, you can move above average because you're an above average church leader. The average church gets about 60% of their volunteers trained. What if you bump that to 100? And trainedup.church is a partner of this podcast. In fact, it's one of the reasons you can listen to this for free. And we've got a bunch of episodes coming up this week. So thank you, trainedup.church. Uh, your partnership allows us to do this for free, do a good job editing things and, and all of that. But they also want to partner with you at your church. And what can they do? Well, bottom line, if you want to train your volunteers, instead of getting them into a room, you can actually just do that on their phones. Like pretty much everyone has a phone, everyone has a computer, a, a, a device of some kind where they can watch a few videos. And if you wanna do a custom training package, your branding, all of your teaching, go for it. Trainedup.church helps you with that. If you're like, no, I'm too overwhelmed. Oh, guess what? Well, they got a library of like hundreds of videos. They're training thousands of leaders a month. And if you're not sure about it, you can even book a free demo. It takes about 15 minutes. You get to see everything about trainedup.church and you get to ask your questions. And because you listen to this podcast, when you get trainedup.church, use the coupon code CARRY and you will get 10% off for life, like forever, C-A-R-E-Y, when you sign up at trainedup.church. Uh, you'll get 10% off for life just by using C-A-R-E-Y in the coupon code field. So check out trainedup.church today. And thanks again, Scott Magdalene and your team for your partnership in this. And listeners, thanks for celebrating today. If you haven't been on over to Didn't See It Coming book yet, you can do that. And in the meantime, here is what I enjoyed is a very life-giving conversation that I hope is going to help you as you drill down on some of the hidden obstacles in leadership maybe that you're facing. Hope you resonate with this. It's Ann Voskamp and I in conversation. Uh, let's go there now. So here we are. Can we say where we are? Yeah. Yeah, where are we? We are in, well, the backside of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> where this, I live as yeah, well. Exactly. Well, no, you live in a more populated place than we do. Um, we are in a little country town of about mm. 6,000 people, Listwell, Ontario, sitting in... A church that was built in 1896. Yep. That somehow now belongs, belongs to us. <laughs> to you, to the Voskamp family. Yes, and yeah. 
Carrie, this is the first and maybe last podcast that will ever be recorded here, but we needed a quiet space, which is not at the farm with all of the kids. So here we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it means so much to me. I and am honored beyond words. And we Carrie. got to know each other a little bit yeah. over the last year. Mm-hmm. I think it was a green room in New Jersey yes. where you walked in and yes. we kind of connected. We had cross paths yeah, online, yeah. so we sort of... We always miss each other at Pearson Airport. Yeah, we did. <laughs> and actually, you are the first... I had never been in an airport lounge before I met. Carrie Newhoff. Really? Yes. How, you, how can you fly as much as you fly? Uh, I don't have access to lounges, but you introduced me to the Air Canada Lounge <laughs> in Newark. So. That's right. At least that's one good thing about Newark Airport. <laughs> they have a lounge. It was good. And yeah. you sort of, you gave me a vision for not only what you were doing in Canada, but across North America hmm. for people down in the trenches, Carrie. Well, thanks. Yeah. And with um, not only... A voice of leadership, but with a deep pastoral heart, a heart of compassion. And then we crossed paths, headed towards Calgary. Yeah. And a conference there. And then we got to go to your Canadian church leadership conference up at Barrie. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was was three incredible days. And probably the highlight of that was uh, we spent a lot of time praying at that event. Which is unusual for church conferences, strange as that sounds. (laughs) No, but the Holy Spirit was present and he led well. And right after, I would say, yes, the prayer was primary. And then the green, your green egg. (laughs) (laughs) My big green egg. The backyard tutorial at 11 o'clock. Yes, you are a Renaissance man, Carrie, with many skills, (laughs) including being able to be a superb cook. Oh, well, you know, we have a lot of fun with that stuff. And so I, when I was thinking about who I wanted to interview mm-hmm. me as Didn't See It Coming releases, I thought, and one thing I discovered about you right away and when we finally met personally was you love to ask questions. You're just relentlessly curious, which I think is great. Yeah, but it's, it is always an honor to be in the presence of great minds who've experienced. If you're the one doing talking, you're not learning. So I love to be an imposter of listening, which is what you do all of the time, Carrie. I try. I mean, Tony has been with us when we've hung out, my wife. And she taught me early on in the podcast. She just looked at me after like five episodes and said, you talk too much. Oh, I listen, Carrie. And I think you (laughs) ask the best questions. And I think this book Uh didn't see it coming really is about you synthesizing and distilling a lot of what you've heard in a lot of podcasts, yes? Mm-hmm. A lot of podcasts and a lot what in... What number are you at? Uh, 210, wow. something like that. Yeah. So you really have been listening and learning from a lot of leaders from around the world. Trying. And yeah. how does that land in this book? Well, you see patterns, right? Right. You see patterns. And what I try to do with the book is see the patterns that I see in hundreds of leaders, some known, some not particularly well-known. And then also in my own life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that interior journey. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, failure's tough. Success sometimes is even harder. And the middle can be brutal. And I think about this, all right? Because we've seen an awful lot happen in the church in the mm-hmm. last couple of years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you have very gifted, very competent, very smart people. Mm-hmm. And when I was a young leader, I always thought competency was everything. Right? You just, you know, you want to sell some books, Anne? Go 
write some more. Like, just learn to write better. Not that you could learn to write better. I've, I've oh, said to you, no, I oh am my learning. gosh. I am. I just I want one little no, piece of your magic don't. pixie dust to rub <laughs> no, off on me. Don't. That's it. Uh, you're a brilliant writer, but it's like, okay, so just improve that and away you go. But mm-hmm. how many super smart, super competent, gifted leaders in ministry, business, politics, life do we see who are no longer in the game mm-hmm. or at least not performing up to perhaps their God-given potential? Almost always, it's not the hard skills. Hmm. It is the soft things. It's the hmm. it's character. It's moral compromise. It's uh, disillusionment and disconnectedness. It's all those soft issues. So the book is really, it's a mirror in to go, okay, I've had to struggle with all these things at one level or another, and it's hard. And then when I talk to other leaders, we're almost, you know, I'm not very good at small talk. So we get into things pretty fast and you discover that, oh my goodness, everybody seems to struggle Mm -hmm. with um, you know, disconnectedness or cynicism, you know? Was there a conversation that was the genesis of this book? Like, hmm. as I was reading, I'm starting to think, so what was the, what was the, the spark that you said, you know what, I should try to gather all this because it's a book that's very, not only is self-aware, but it's also culturally aware. And a lot of people, there may be failures, but we just put them behind us and move on as opposed to really gleaning and excavating for the wisdom out of those situations. Uh, see, so where did this come from, Carrie? Yeah, that's a great question. You know what? Um, I'll tell you what comes to mind, and mm-hmm. it's not even mentioned in the book, and Jared Hurd will be so mad at me because I didn't mention it in the <laughs> okay. book. I don't know whether you know Jared Hurd or not, but uh, he's a preacher. I okay. think he's in California okay. these days. But anyway, Jared and I have hung out a lot over the years. And as you know, I tell the story in the book, I burned out uh, 12 yes. years ago in yes. 2006. So I'm on the other side of burnout. Yep. We're probably three or four years into it. And I am desperately trying to figure out how did I land in this okay. spot where okay. everything came to a crashing mm-hmm. halt and how do I stay out of that ditch? Mm-hmm. And I remember Jared and I, we just hung out. We were speaking at the same event. Mm-hmm. We went for multiple meals. And at one of those meals, I think in Panama City Beach, we were having lunch, and as we talked about it, because he'd had similar experiences in his life, you know, with disillusionment, mm-hmm. and maybe not like full-on burnout, but just like that kind of like mm-hmm. cynicism. And I said, you know what? I'm beginning to think that leaders who thrive are leaders who see life for what it really is, but keep mm-hmm. their hearts fully engaged. Wow. And that was the first time I could wow. articulate it. And it came out at lunch, and... I think, you know, I wasn't thinking book. I wasn't thinking any of that. But that was the first time where I thought, man, you know, and and Jared, thank you. If you're listening, thank (laughs) you for that. I need to have you on the podcast, buddy. I really, really do. Uh Um, You do. Yeah, I really do. Yes. And and it was that kind of conversation Mm -hmm. where for the first time I realized, okay, there are principles behind this. Mm. This isn't some random mystery. Right. This isn't like, oh, well, you know, you just get cynical and live right. long enough and it's inevitable. Or, um, yeah, everybody's got to burn out at some point. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was the first time I really began to articulate and write down the mm-hmm. principles that ended up in the book. Okay, so tell us about that process of writing mm. down those principles and then the analysis that comes from... I mean... You and I had connected earlier this week, mm. and you showed me on your phone 
five not downloadable experiences that come from church. Right. And I was, I wanted to, I was just fascinated by, so where did those thoughts come from? So as you're sitting down to write this book Mm -hmm. or this book starts to take shape and form, tell us about that process. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, It's take good notes, like just take really good notes. And um, comedians, I've noticed, what is the key to comedy? And in my secret life, like when I'm envious, I wish I was funny. (laughs) I wish. Well, we we can be funny in conversation, but I get up on a stage and I'm like, oh, I gotta land this joke, and then it's like clunk, 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 clunk. Sorry, you're on a stage every week and you land it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, But you know, I look at other people and I'm like, how do you do that? But what I know about comedy is comedians are noticers. Mm. Mm. It's, they they notice <laughs> the subtleties of life. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's joke about a Pop-Tart right. that it, it can never be stale because it was never fresh. <laughs> right? Like, see? You landed it. <laughs> that, that just, but that's just true, right. Right? right? And everybody, what is that? That's common experience. Everybody's had Pop-Tarts. He also says, you know, what food do you ever create that's the same shape as the box and looks like the box and tastes like the box? <laughs> <laughs> and tastes like, like the box. Right? See, but he worked for two years on that joke. And he, but he was really good about the Seinfeld method of one joke a day, his ex yep. filling it in, right? So tell us about, yeah. and, and I think, you know, even the title of this book, mm-hmm. Didn't See It Coming. It's about noticing. It's it about is. visioning. Mm-hmm. It's about being a visionary. And I think that's really what you're good at, Carrie, is seeing in ways that the rest of us don't see. It's noticing mm-hmm. patterns in right. my own life. Yes. I play a lot of connect the dots. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking in my the first hour of my morning is Brilliant. a very quiet hour. Yeah. Um, You're a very early riser. I'm too early. Yes. Some Never days, too usually early. five a.m. Yeah. Five bells. Yeah. Which means I'm no fun at night. It's like, Tony wants to watch a movie tonight, Anne. I know I'm going to be asleep 20 <laughs> minutes into it. I know. You know, you are on track, Carrie. It's okay. amazing to watch you on Instagram. Like, oh, Carrie's <laughs> up at 4.57 this morning. <laughs> yeah. But. But, so it's noticing. Yes. And, and then I've learned to take notes. Now, it's funny. I only spent a year in law. People are always like, how much do you spend in law? I remember so much of that year. I can't quite play it back step by step, but it's close. Like I remember my office, I remember what I felt like, I remember the emotions. And I remember this was this is probably where it started for me because I already knew I was called into ministry. That had, God had dealt with that. And uh, it was like, do I finish law? Do I not finish law? And I was tempted so not to finish law. Even when you were in mm-hmm. law school, you knew God was calling towards ministry. Yeah, I had a, wow. I had a supernatural call into law, mm-hmm. uh, or into law, out of law, into ministry between first and second year in the mm-hmm. summer of that year. And um, and so the question was, well, do I just go right away? And then um, I had a few voices, my dad in particular, who said, you know, mm-hmm. you should finish what you start. That's mm-hmm. good dad advice. And so I thought, okay, but then, okay, I finished law school, got my LLB. Do I go on and do I uh, get my, Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know what? Okay, if I'm going to be a pastor, what would, how would I criticize pastors? Because I'm, I'm still thinking this way at 24, 25. I'm like, here's what most people struggle with, with pastors. You went straight into, from high school into seminary. You've never worked a day in your life. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I want to earn a paycheck for Mm -hmm. 365 days in something that is completely non-ministry related, maybe the perfect anti-ministry environment. (laughs) Downtown, I mean, downtown Toronto law, Mm -hmm. you know, Toronto, I -hmm. mean, both being Canadians. Wow. Downtown Toronto law, Yep. did it for a year. And I remember just like at a meta level, just observing and going, wow, all these people, like I know how much the lawyers, some of the lawyers in our firm were making half a million dollars a year and this was in the 90s. 
Like that's a lot of money today. No kidding. That's like double it. Um, you know, so the equivalent, like they're, they're doing seven figure incomes and they're not happy. And I'm like, take good notes, take good notes. Now at that time it was mental notes. I don't know whether I journaled or not. I have like all these old journals I yes, never look yes. at, but my journaling's off again. You know, I'm, I'm a guy. It's on again, off again, right. on again, yeah, off yeah. again. And then over the last decade, my blog has become my journal. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. where I'm processing things in real time. Mm-hmm. And I don't always get it right. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll, I'll post something. I'm okay. like, yeah, I don't believe that anymore. Or not not Christianity. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> yes. as far as human yes. observation yes. goes, yeah, that was close, no cigar. Um, but it's, it's becoming a noticer. And yes. so I will write things down in Evernote. It is my digital brain. I will. And often, you know, if people are like, how, how do those insights come? For me, they come when I'm not trying to have the insights. Hmm. They come when I'm on my bike and I'm doing an hour ride and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, that's how that works. And I'll stitch together in my conversations. Okay, why is this person successful? Why is this person struggling? Why is, why is it, uh, you know, like mm-hmm. little random things. So I, like a comedian notices to be funny. Yes. I notice to try to put meaning into life and meaning into my life and meaning into other people's lives to go, okay, I had 18 disparate conversations but here's the thread mm-hmm. that pulled them, I think, maybe yes. pulls these together. So I do a lot of that. And that is where my head's at almost all the time. I think you are an uncommonly rare observer and noticer that can synthesize and distill. You're right. All of those conversations into a nugget that we can go ahead and carry forward. Tell us a little bit about your law career and what you brought <laughs> from that, not law school and a year in law, to ministry and how it impacts it, Carrie? Yeah, it does. You know, I used to get that question when I first left law yeah. and, you know, went in, into my first ministry where mm-hmm. I still am 23 years right. later. And people would ask me, do you use your law? And at the beginning, it was like, well, I'm not reading a lot of contracts. I'm not suing anybody today. I'm not, I haven't appeared before a judge recently. So, well. <laughs> you know, like, so my answer was no. Right. Um, but I got to tell you, yeah. three university degrees, so mm-hmm. history, law, theology, nothing kicked my butt like law. Like that mm. was hard. I got mm-hmm. into my dream law school and all of a sudden my grades went from an A in my undergrad, A plus, down to like a B and sometimes C. Yeah, and I'm like, for an achiever, mm-hmm. that's not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And I realized, oh my gosh, like you, this is, mm. this is a crucible. Mm-hmm. And I, you can't cheat anymore. You can't make stuff up. Like you either know it or you don't. And I'm pretty good at like, you know, I, you know I'll do a psychoanalysis of Napoleon. I'll just make that up. It'll be a good paper, right? No, jigs up in, in law yeah. school. So it really retrained the way I think. Mm-hmm. And it made me analyze things. And then in that year, those 365 days, I was in court almost every day. Wow. And when you're thrown mm. in there, and it was, I was part of a small firm, not a big firm. And the fun part about being a small firm is I think we had 10, 15 lawyers. So maybe 30 person firm with all the assistants, clerks, et cetera. Um, So they gave me the work of a first or second year associate at a major firm. And they're just like, you go to court, you argue this, go win. And so you're thrown into it. And, you know, I'm up against lawyers who have been at it for a decade, judges who have heard everything and it's like sink or swim. So that was a real like mm. retraining the brain, learn to think on your feet. 
Um, mm. Okay, I've got to empathize with the judge because I, I've got to think, what is the judge thinking? What piece of information does the judge need mm-hmm. to rule in my favor? Mm-hmm. What is the opponent thinking? Mm. And I was surprised what shocked me was like opponents were not particularly well prepared. Guys would come into court or women would come into court. They'd be shuffling through their papers. I'm here on the matter of, um, <laughs> what? you know, uh, Mrs. V's camp, uh, known of Voss camp, Vos camp. Yeah, what? Right. Right. And, and I'm like, oh, it's not that hard to win at this game. Right. And so we had a really good year. But what I've realized is that process over five years, because it was five years, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Five years from starting law school to call to the bar. And that retrain the way I think. So people are like, where do you get your ideas from? <laughs> I, I analyze like a lawyer. That's, right. that's what permanently changed. And me. I think you can see that as you read, didn't see it coming. You are actually anticipating what the reader is experiencing. And that comes through on every page. So that your meeting felt need page after page after page. Tell us a little bit about I love, I mean, I love the subtitle of this book, Overcoming the Seven Greatest Challenges That No One Expects and Everyone Experiences. Who can pick up this book, Carrie? You know, that was an interesting subject. So that was, when when I first came up with the mm-hmm. idea, I said, this is a church leader book. Right. And, and then uh, my agent said, no, I think it's broader than that. And they started sharing the first chapter on cynicism, mm-hmm. which is the chapter I wrote for the proposal. Right. It was the first thing I wrote in the book. Yep. And mm. I thought it was like for older leaders over 40 who've grown cynical. Right. Jaded. And then, yeah, yeah. Jaded. And then they start sharing it with millennials. And millennials are like, uh, no, this is me. Yep. And then I thought, okay, yes. it's for all leaders. And then, well, I've spent 25 years creating almost uh, churches that unchurched people love to attend. Yes. You know, at, at our church, I thought maybe I could write this for a broader audience. Mm-hmm. And, and then when Penguin got a hold of it, who's the publisher, yep. um, they... They thought it would be just broadly applicable, yes, and so I, I've is. kind of narrowed it down to everyone. This, yeah, yeah, everyone's <laughs> the worst marketing thing in the world, right? But so literally, do I think everybody's going to read it? No, but the same kind of person, you know, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Exactly, it's a, it's yes, a reread for yes. me. So who reads that book? You know what? Stay everybody at home. who wants to grow. Exactly. Everybody who wants to grow. You nailed it. Anybody who's interested in getting better. better. And that can be the stay-at-home parent. Totally. That can be the unemployed person who's yes. like, you know what? I need This to... won't do yes. anymore. I've got to get my act together. Mm-hmm. So anybody who's motivated to get better. And then, you know, it, it's not a huge, like, it's not like there's nobody's ever written on this before. But there are so many books on, you know, how to become a better X or how to become a better Y or how to grow your business or how to scale your company or how to grow your right. church or whatever. Yep. And we, I've got lots of resources in that space too. But this is like all the stuff nobody really talks about unless you have a really good friend, a really good counselor, or a really good dinner club, right? Like where you're having these conversations. So uh, anybody who would be interested in self-improvement, you're yes. exactly right, exactly. who wants to grow. Okay. So you started, first chapter was on cynicism. Yeah. I would think that, I mean, I've written about this before, the end of the age of cynicism. I think cynicism undermines so much of the work that we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about why you started there, Carrie. You know, it was, I, 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 I wish I had a better answer to that. I'm not 100% sure why I started with cynicism. Was it, did it play into your own burnout? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was, it was maybe... 
It was probably a lead indicator mm. rather than a lag indicator. Mm -hmm. um, because what happens with the cynical is you lose your curiosity, mm. you lose hope. Mm. And, you know, what is burnout and depression? It is the death of hope. Yeah. It is the loss of hope. And so what happens with cynicism is, so let's say you're, you know, at 20, you're 90% hopeful, 10%, like, eh, right? Uh, yeah. By 30, you're maybe 50 50. Yeah. By 40, I was 10% hope, 5% hope, 90% wow. cynical. And it, it, it sneaks up on you. It's frog in the kettle. Mm -hmm. It is, I didn't even know how, right. how you know, warm the room was yes. until I looked at the thermometer. And so for me, it probably was a lead indicator in, mm -hmm. into burnout. And it happens because your hope gets killed again and again. So I tell a story in the book about Roger and Mary, not their real names, but you know, we had a really small church. It was six people when I started and they were some of the first people to come to that church. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty clear early on that they did not have a lot of money, that they were, they were poor. And you know, Hey, we are the church. Like, isn't this why we're here? This is why we're here. Right? Yeah. I'm young, I'm 30 and the church didn't have any money. We had no money, but like everybody pooled their money, Acts 2. Here's some gas money. Here's money for the, the mm -hmm. heat bill this mm -hmm. month. Here's, here's, you know, let's band together and help. And it wasn't every month, but, you know, quite regularly we helped. I did pastoral care in those days because when you have six people, you have no excuse not to. So, you know, I'd go to their house and uh, try to help them through their problems. Mm -hmm. And soon you realize, okay, these are not solvable overnight. Like yes. they've been here for a long time. Yes. And I stuck up for them in the church. And then three, four years into ministry, one day publicly, um, Roger grabs his wife's hand, grandkids' hand, storms out the door and says, we're leaving and we're not coming back. And I'm like, what? And so I'm chasing them out into the parking lot. And I'm like, what is going on? And they said, you don't care anymore and you haven't done enough for us. Yeah. And I'm like you know, immediately my mind goes, are you kidding me? Like there's nobody like on the list. You are number one. I have not spent more time with anybody else. We haven't given more financial aid to anybody. Yeah. And, and they storm off into the car and I'm, I try to make it better. Okay. And there's no happy ending to the story. Yes. They left and they stayed gone. And then all of a sudden, what does that do to your heart yeah. as a young leader? Yeah. Right. So for me, it's like, man, and the next time somebody needy came into the church, I'm like, oh, I know how that ends. Right. And you start projecting past failures mm -hmm. onto future relationships. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, usually it's not one round for most of us. It's, it's five rounds. It's 10 rounds. It's like 10 of those people. And then yet I had some friendships collapse around Tony and I. That was really personally hurtful. Mm -hmm. And you just eventually get to the point where it's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not making friends anymore. And... Hope was almost dead. And even though you preach it on Sunday, right? This is where a lot of pastors find themselves. You're preaching it Sunday, but you're not feeling it Monday. And so what is that? And, and that is the chapter that's been most read. It's the free chapter mm -hmm. on the pre-release. And like the mail... Where do people we, find that? Uh, they can find it at didntseeitcomingbook.com. Okay. And uh, fortunately, I think, it depends when this airs, but it should be out today or very, okay. very soon. Um we can get the whole book, but the people are like, man, you're reading my mail. Mm -hmm. And this seems to be just an epidemic that we all start out at 20, so hopeful and idealistic. And then by 30, it's gone. How do people nourish that hope that's dying? How yeah. do you revive it when it's withering and it looks like you 
you don't even know how to keep watering it at all. The good news is the gospel is the antidote. Mm-hmm. The bad news is it's hard to get there. So when right. those after those guys left and then yes. a whole bunch of other stuff happened and those close personal friendships kind of collapsed on mm-hmm. us. I remember I went through a whole year, and you know Tony, my yes, wife. She's lovely. five foot three. I'm like literally twice her size, over six feet tall. I would go into social settings hiding behind her. This is mm. in the middle of my burnout. Um, not a very good strategy. And I, <laughs> I said to her, I said, I don't need any friends anymore. Classic mm, guy response, wow. right? Like I don't need friends. I can do. I can do life without it. And then I realized after a year, that's so dumb. And, yep, yep. and and then I realized, okay, well, you know what? If you're going to make friends, that means you can get hurt again. It does. And that meant I've got to put my heart, I've got to reopen my heart. I've got to put it in my hand and I have to put it out Offer there. it, yes. And if we get to know Daryl and Ann and Ann rejects me or Daryl oh, doesn't like scary. me, like it, it, it means I could get hurt again. Yeah. And it means it could be painful. Yes. But what's the alternative? You live your life. And you're just like on your island all by yourself relationally. Mm-hmm. And like, how does, so I realized you got to hope again. Mm-hmm. You got to trust again. You got to believe again. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the reality is now, you know, a decade on the other side or more of all that. Most people aren't going to snap your heart. Yeah. There are some really good people out there. That and you would miss out on oh, otherwise. I would have missed this all. I would have mm-hmm. missed, this last decade has been incredible. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once I found my feet again, mm-hmm. like, it's 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 been amazing, but you've got to put your heart out there, and you got to trust. Yeah, and it's, it's tempting to think that sometimes that shield that we use to protect us, nobody tells us, which we read didn't see it coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, but nobody tells us, which you do in this book, that the shield we use to protect us becomes the prison that totally destroys our lives. That isolation actually ends up leaving us profoundly lonely. That's that's so well said. Well, That's I, so well said. I, I think, you know, we need to grow hope by tearing down the shields and reaching out. And yeah, sometimes we are going to get hurt, but that hurt will grow us deeper and better to, to reach out to other people in a more empathetic way also, Carrie, which you do very, very well. And I'd love to know what you think, but I really have come to believe that if you close your heart to people, mm. you also close your heart to God. And right? it's not that all of a sudden you're an atheist, right? It's like, oh yeah, I don't believe that stuff. But like... I don't know. Yes, I don't know how theolo- whether this holds theological water or not. I think it does, but I think God says, "Okay, you've got your heart closed. I respect that boundary. Mm. You want to open it up? I'll mm. come flat." Listen, I'm banging God's on such that a door. He's such a gentleman, mm-hmm. right? But I'm knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. But like, you've got to open it. Mm-hmm. And I found at that time, and again, you know, if anything happened to me, I, I hope and pray I'd be on the right side of eternity. Yes. I never lost yes. my faith. Yeah, no. But I think, you know, as your intimacy and your friendship and your openness to other human beings and to hope and to trust and to belief again Mm -hmm. opens up and your heart opens up, God's like, ah, now I've got something I can work with. Look at this. We're we're welcome back in again. And and he's never abandoned us, but I I think there's some connection there. This is a book then for somebody who feels jaded, Mm -hmm. somebody who feels cynical, someone who feels please, somebody start to grow my hope again. Tell us about some of those seven other issues, six other issues, Carrie. Yeah. That, tell us what you'd say to your 30-year-old self, Carrie. Oh, yeah. What would I say to my 30? This is just a great book. Didn't see it coming. It's really like handing a manual to somebody and say, here, these are the things you need to be aware of that they're coming for you and how to be prepared. 
you got to look in the mirror. Hmm. That's probably what I'd say to my 30-year-old self. And I spent a lot of time resisting that in my early 30s until burnout forced me to go deep. Now, I'd been mm. looking for a while. Burned out at 40, 41. Mm-hmm. Um, but prior to that, I, I'd started counseling. I had started hmm. really doing the more interior, you know, mm-hmm. Henry Nouwen type yes, stuff. Like yes. just, okay, I got to look in. Excavate here. And, and it was tough. Yep. And even with a counselor, it's like, mm. I don't really want to go there because the problem isn't me. Like, the problem is everybody else. You understand that, Anne, right? Yes, I do. And I've always said that if you think the problem is everybody else, the problem really is you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't, I didn't have marriage problems. Tony had marriage problems. I didn't, you know, I didn't have issues. Everybody else did. And, of course, that's not true. Mm -hmm. But it's very painful to look inside. Mm -hmm. And I would probably tell myself to, to look deeper. And I had this interesting vision. You know, one of the other things we talk about and didn't see it coming is compromise, Mm. moral compromise. Mm. And so one of the reasons I know I was called into law was because, or out of law and into ministry, was when I was 24 years old, I was working at a law firm. It was a really good law firm in my hometown, a small town in Ontario. And it was three o'clock in the afternoon, almost like Peter, right? In the book of Acts. And I was finishing up work on a case and I was standing up behind the desk just to move on Mm. with the next part of my day. And I had this vision of myself 20 years in the future. Yes. I was 44, extremely sick. And this was like, what was that? It was like a daydream, a vision, an impression. Right. I think it yep. was God. So yep. it was like, I wasn't asleep, but it was happened in broad daylight. And I remember it like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it was a very clear impression of me at age 44 as an extremely successful lawyer who was morally bankrupt. Wow. And had basically sold my soul. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And I just knew in that instant, just a knowing, I'm like, law is not my future. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to be my future. Tony and I were dating. We were almost engaged. Mm-hmm. We get engaged later that month. I go, anyway, I'm jumping ahead. I left that office and went into the library of the firm. And this is the hometown where yep. I grew up. Yeah. And I'm looking out the window, just trying to process this all and pray like, God, what is going on here? And I've never thought about this. And I heard this prompting that said, you should be in ministry. And I looked down the road and there's the church I grew up in. And the only part you could see from the law firm window was the pastor's study and the sense that you should be in there. there. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. Like really, like I was shocked and I never grew up in church, but like never ever thought about being a pastor. And I always felt sorry for pastors because I thought they had pathetic lives. You know, <laughs> glad that you do that, but like, thank goodness that's not going to be me. And, and, and then I go to the days almost over at that point, I go to pick up Tony, my soon to be mm-hmm. fiance. Uh, she was working down the road and we're driving to my parents' house for dinner. I didn't tell her a word, pick her up. And as we're driving to my parents' place for dinner, she says to me, have you ever thought about going into ministry? Hmm, oh, look we at that. We had never talked about it. Oh, wow. And I'm like, you'll never believe what happened at the today. office. Yes. But, you know, I thought that moral compromise vision was a vision about law. Hmm. And I realized even in the process of writing the book, it was actually, that happens in ministry too. Mm-hmm. Where, where you, and in yes. any walk of life, Anywhere. where... You just make a thousand little compromises, you know, and suddenly you're not the person you thought you could be. And by the grace of God, you know, there's no headline, there's no affair, there's no embezzlement, there's there's none of that. But like, 
you just think about the way that that compromise can happen in your life. And I think competency gets you in the room, but mm. character keeps you in the room. Wow. And that's all those soft issues, right? Okay, so think. tell us about how does a person remain a, pers- a person of character? Hmm. I think for me, it's boiled down to almost a mathematical formula where hmm. you have to work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. Like, oh, wow. And that, that's an interior job, Carrie. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's done at 4.30 a.m. It is. And guess what? Nobody pays you to do it, right? They're going to pay you to take a course. They're going to pay, oh, yeah, we'll give you that book or that resource or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you'll get promoted if you work on your competency. Mm-hmm. But the thing about your character is you don't get, um, you know, nobody asks you to work on it and nobody will pay you to work on it, but they will fire you if you don't. Do you do that in community? Character? Oh, yeah. In terms of accountability, in terms of someone being able to ask you hard questions, your no people as opposed to it's easy to be surrounded by all yes people. Yes. What does that look like for you, Carrie? I think it's personal and communal. Yeah. I think there's part of it where, you know, we have a lost art of confession mm. in this culture. Mm-hmm. Are you really confessing your sins? Are you really ridiculously honest mm-hmm. with God and with yourself? And then, you know, fortunately, you know, Tony, my wife, she keeps me extremely honest. Mm-hmm. She's a truth. Yeah, she's a grace person. But yeah, when it comes to being your spouse, she can mm-hmm. be very mm-hmm. like, I don't get away with a lot, mm-hmm. which I'm grateful for. One thing I've noticed in all of my encounters with you, Carrie, I mean, yes, incredibly brilliant and thoughtful, a rare noticer and observer, but you are a person of deep humility. I have seen you time and again when it's easy. I think sometimes as leaders, any we are all leading people regardless of what that actually vocationally that looks like. But it can be easy to become defensive. And I have seen you time and again be in a posture of humility and teachability and receive other people's feedback. How do you cultivate that on an ongoing basis, Carrie? It's, I, have, I find it breathtaking watching you do it over and over again. Well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate that. I don't know that it's true. You should live on the inside no, of me. I have seen you in situations mm. where I have been like, oh, if that was me, I would be defensive. And you never are, Carrie. I'm learning. I'm learning. I'm, I'm naturally extremely defensive. Oh, and I have not seen it. I have been taken aback at how humble you've been. Well, uh, part of it is, is you know, the more you know yourself, mm-hmm. right? Yes. John Calvin, yes, yes, without yes. knowledge of self, there's no yes. knowledge of God. Without yes. knowledge of God, there's no knowledge of self. The more I know myself, like, you know, when I was 23, I was like, I'm going to take on the world. Yeah, Both yeah. guns blazing. You know, <laughs> yeah. here I come. I'm yeah. so smart. What a gift to humanity. And now I'm like, I'm lucky I can even get out of bed. And that anybody yes. listens to what I have yes. to say. You know, as I, as I joke to my kids all the time, because they roll their eyes from time to time. I'm like, you know, people actually pay me to speak. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> as the kids roll their eyes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, you know, I know... I, you know, there's that verse in the Gospel of John where Jesus says he knows the depth of mm-hmm. the human heart. He knows mm-hmm. what people are really like. And I think I know what I'm really like mm-hmm. apart mm-hmm. from Christ. And mm-hmm. it's not, you know, there's a chapter on pride in the book. Mm-hmm. And to me, we live in a pretty narcissistic age. Maybe. But I'm just going to assume that the vast majority of people are not narcissists. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're all a little bit self-absorbed or whatever. But, you know, then go to a counselor, get help, whatever. 
Most of us, our pride Mm -hmm. is fueled by our insecurity. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's more true. So where does my defensiveness come out of insecurity? Mm -hmm. So that when you say, well, Carrie, you know, why did you use this phrase? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Ann Voskamp, like criticizing my work. Likely, you know, like you never would. You're extremely (laughs) gentle and kind. But I'm like, you know, whoa, like, you know, there's a part of me that still, still gets that way. And then you just... My favorite definition of humility is C.S. Lewis, who yes. says that, you know, as a lot of us know, humility is not thinking less of yourself. That's false humility, right? False humility is, I'm a terrible communicator, exactly. and thank you. You know, and you going, you know, I really can't write. Well, actually, you can. You, God has given you a gift. No. He has. But it's just thinking of yourself less. And so I'm trying to like, and, and be open and, you know, the other problem is the more successful you become, the less people give you real feedback. Exactly. You surround right? yourself. All the people around you become your yes people. Right. As opposed to, how do you keep no people close to you? And there are a lot of people listening who are way more successful than I am. Mm-hmm. But, like, yesterday we're sitting around with six people in my backyard doing a year of strategic planning wow. for preaching. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I ask is, as you know, before lunch is I said to people, I would love some honest feedback. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm the founding pastor, so I no longer have the power to hire and fire. Um, but you know, I carry a lot of clout in that church and mm-hmm. we've grown a lot over the mm-hmm. years. And, I, and part of me as I'm asking the question is like, you know, I don't know that I'm going to get a hundred percent truth around this mm-hmm. table. And the reason I wouldn't get a hundred percent truth is yeah. not because they're liars. They're amazing yes. people, but because there's that power imbalance mm-hmm. because I started the mm-hmm. thing and because nobody wants to hurt my feelings. And, and, you know, Tim Keller, Scott Saul's mutual friend. Yes. So highest esteem. Isn't he, isn't he great? He is. Yeah. A gift to the church. So one of the questions I asked Scott on Mm. my podcast was, what's it like to work with Tim Keller? Right. You know, who, who would want to know, right? right? I'm like, there's my celebrity gossip tabloid (laughs) part of my podcast. Right. Cause I just want to know, and and I'll never forget what he said. Mm. He said, do you remember? Well, Yeah. yeah. And he speaks. Oh, well, go ahead. I know what he has said of Tim. Tim. Yes. But he said he takes criticism so seriously. And he says, like, oh, well, this person must be right. Or, um, okay, maybe if it's poorly motivated, what is the 20% of it that is true True. that I can learn from? And I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, sometimes I look at what somebody says on social and and I just want to make fun of them. Mm -hmm. You know, the cat avatar and 30 (laughs) followers. I'm like, well, I'm not going to take that very seriously. And that's like, that's the darkness Mm -hmm. in in the human heart. But I think think for me, honestly, a lot of that humanity, if there is humility, there is. it comes out of dealing with my insecurity. Mm-hmm. Because insecure people will always struggle with humility. Mm. Insecure people, like my insecurity will force smarter people out of the room. You hmm. always want to be the smartest person in the room because, you know, you're just threatened by leaders who are better than you. And it's one thing to assemble a team and say, you know, I set up my podcast gear. We have yes. this, How many times have I done this in the last two years? Twice? I'm hoping this interview captures. <laughs> yeah, we have really smart tech people at our church. I have right. lots of smart tech people in my life that do that kind of thing. It's another thing to say, no, I'm actually going to get another communicator yes. or another writer who is better than me on my team. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. you're like, whoa, are you ready for that? And but how do we grow if we're the smartest person in the room? Exactly. Exactly. Like, I, I always think I want to be the dumbest person on my team <laughs> because you're right. We know who we are. So surround ourselves with people who are a lot smarter and we'll go a lot further. No, I, I 100% agree mm-hmm. with you. 15 years ago, I wasn't there. 
Hmm. Today, I'm getting there. And you know, when when I feel that, you know, that that pang you get, that wince you get when you're like, ooh, they liked him better than me. Oh, or yes. this person I've did better. I've spoken at events after you, Carrie. So <laughs> <I know. laughs> but, you know, it's like, oh, oh. And then, and then you just got to surrender that to God. Mm-hmm. And Andy Stanley's got a teaching that I think just nails it because under the under insecurity is jealousy right Mm. and what andy wrote in enemies of the heart is just so good and he he says uh that to overcome jealousy you need to celebrate what god is or leverage what god has given you and celebrate what god has given others oh wow so isn't that good isn't that that's like that's good that's amazing or Wow, that was a phenomenal talk. Yeah. And then you get up there and say, well, now it's a little old me. So yeah, right. <laughs> I'll just leverage what he gave me. Right. right. But otherwise you become the one talent steward, right? The biblical parable where you're like, well, you didn't I give mean, me enough and I'm going to bury, bury it in the it, ground right? and I'm going to be angry and resentful mm-hmm. and say, why didn't you make me as funny as, as bright as, as smart as, as articulate as, as successful as, mm-hmm. I hate you. And then God's like, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know. But the- he buried that talent because what? He know he he did not know the character of God. He says, You are a hard man. Yes. But when we know the character of God, that God is good and he's entrusting into me what he knows I'm going to steward well. And I think, Carrie, you have steward so well. Tell us a little bit about how you've killed pride. Mm. How you struggled with pride and then how you have uprooted it. Well, I don't know whether I've uprooted it. No, I think it's it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a yes. weed in your garden. Yes, it just exactly. comes back every exactly. year and it comes back every day. Yep. Um, but dealing with my insecurity mm-hmm. has really helped. So pushing other people into the spotlight, that's something I learned from my good friend Reggie Joyner, mm-hmm. who I borrowed that phrase from him. It's just you've got to create a platform for others to stand wow. on. Yep. You know, so even with the podcast, people said when you, you launched it. All the time, it, yeah. It's like, what do you what do you want to do? And I had people saying, you should just read your blogs and make it a podcast. I'm like, you know, because I love these conversations. And so my job on the podcast, when the mic isn't flipped like it is today, and we will reflip the mic and I'm going to interview you and pick your brain. Okay. I want you to know that. But is like to sh- shut up and listen and be curious. Mm-hmm. That's it. So I have a rule where I try not to speak more than 5% of the time uh, when I'm doing the interview. Wow. That's yeah. a good. That's a good life model. Um, I was reading last week. Francis Schaeffer was asked if he had an hour to share the gospel with someone, how would he spend that hour? And he said he would spend it fifty-five minutes listening, and five minutes sharing, so he knew wow. how to go ahead and engage the person. Which is exactly staying in that posture of listening. Let's your five percent that you're going to speak matter. And that's a change for me because mm. I used to be the advice giver. Mm. And hey, I still have a blog, I have books, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But I used to be the advice giver. And you know what I've, 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 I've where I, what I now think about that? Mm. I will still give advice if people mm-hmm. ask me, but I try to listen. And then I try to learn. Half the time, I was trying to solve a problem the person didn't have. Because mm, right? you, you give me 15 <laughs> seconds of your, you know, Daryl and I are blah, blah, Oh, and I know exactly how to solve that, blah, 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 blah. And then it's like, well, that has nothing to do with the question mm-hmm. you were going to ask or what your real need is. So I think listening has been really important. Um, being quiet. Mm-hmm. Like yesterday was a long day. We had a retreat. Then I had a phone call. And then we had dinner with friends. And I, I didn't have, quite have time for a bike ride. And so I just, I just went for a walk and I threw my AirPods in and mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to catch up on a podcast. And I'm like, no, huh. no, I just need to breathe. And I just mm. walked down to the lake, did a little walk to this park mm. near us and 
walk down to the lake in total silence and just the more I'm comfortable in that space, mm. first thing in the morning, mm. a quiet walk in the afternoon, the more you kind of have a sober sense of who you are. And I get more of that awe of God mm-hmm. and more respect and mm-hmm. appreciation for the contribution of others. Because mm-hmm. I think we all like to believe when we're not thinking that we're terrible, that we're the bomb, right? That we are, we are <laughs> like, yeah, we are either, we are either miserable or, <laughs> or we're the best thing ever. Yes. And, and neither is true. No. Neither is true. We're not miserable and we are not the best thing ever. And so... Um, you know, in that quiet space, I, I get a better sense of who God mm-hmm. is, who I am, and who others are. Mm-hmm. So solitude has really helped. Didn't see it coming. We've talked about cynicism. Mm-hmm. We've talked about compromise. Yeah. We've talked about pride. Can you tell us the other four, Carrie? If I can remember them, I'm in the process Here. of memorizing my book. Yeah. No, one is irrelevance, Anne. Wow. Um, and then burnout and emptiness, which may be my favorite. And disconnectedness. Those are the other four. Okay. Tell us about disconnectedness and your own practices, Carrie. <laughs> yeah. I, I have a tendency to disconnect from human relationships. Mm. I can be that person who, I don't know why, but I think one of my wounds somewhere along the way was just rejection. Right. Um, hmm. that, that my greatest fear is that you're going to reject me, mm-hmm. that you're not going to want to spend time mm-hmm. with me. And that, that can lead me to a place where, oh, before you cut me Love out of your him, life, right? I'm going to disconnect myself that way. And, you know, that, that's a mistake. So I have that propensity. Now, I think in the last decade, technology has yes. accelerated that. Yes. We all have our phones. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the more there, there's this paradox happening before our eyes that the more connected we are, the more disconnected we feel. Mm-hmm. And the more isolated and alone, all the we feel. research supports that, Gary. Yeah, the in the UK, yes. um, they appointed a minister for loneliness, a government position, because they have hundreds of thousands of people. I read the stats on this, and they're not top of mind, but I'm going to get close. I'm going to be in the, you know, ballpark, pastor yeah. math. We'll yes. be in the right ball, ballpark. <laughs> um, something like two hundred thousand adults in England have not talked to anyone in the this. last thirty yes, days. You read yes. that too. Is that like in ballpark, thir- right? It is. And I yeah. remember re- re- reading it over again to go, in 30 days? In 30 days. Yes. Like they haven't talked to another human yes. being? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, so sol- is, yeah. that, is that a function of phones and technologies or is there other reasons, Carrie? Well, I think it's a human problem. Mm-hmm. I, I think the pace of our culture has mm-hmm. gotten. Now, and listen, I'm A type. I'm driven. I'm up first thing in the morning. You I'm going, go, 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 go. So I'm part of the problem. So <laughs> I, I agree. And yet, as Dallas Willard said, hurry is the ent- enemy of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And you can't be intimate in a hurry. Mm-hmm. You just can't. That's true romantically. That's true spiritually. That's true relationally. Yeah, I, I talked to a pastor last week and he had one line and it just so resonated deeply with me love is inefficient oh yeah yeah like it's type a's we are like how can we make this more efficient but for us to be intimate and present and love someone well it is inefficient it is not productive Mm -hmm. so i think you know and and to to think back to our childhood you know a lot of us if if you think back well you know pre-technology pre-cell phone pre-social media the whole world was perfect. It was great. No, it wasn't. I mean, 
a lot of people had the dad. Yes. My dad wasn't like this, but you know, the, the dad who always disappeared into the garage mm-hmm. and worked mm-hmm. on his mm-hmm. car that was never finished. <laughs> right. Because he didn't want it to be finished. <laughs> I was going to say yeah. that. He did not want it. Oh, it's not quite ready yet. Right. I got I to gotta work on the engine some more. And, and that's mm-hmm. disconnection. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, the family that just sits down in front of the TV mm-hmm. or the sister. Remember when there was a second line for teenagers? There was a teenager phone? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the teenager who just sat in her room all day or the brother who was stuck on video games mm-hmm. forever or the mom who was just distracted with her friends and never, quiet kids, you know, right, totally. never had time or the dad who worked too much. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is a human problem mm-hmm. and we have a propensity. Hey, at the very heart of the human condition is disconnection from God and disconnection from mm-hmm. each other. So it's a theological problem. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because... I don't know what made me do this, but about a year ago, as I was writing the book, mm-hmm. I think it must have been the weirdest day because I've never wa- I watched the show when I was a kid. I downloaded like the entire catalog for Little House on the Prairie. Oh, wow. I bought that it. That doesn't seem like a carry thing to do. No, it's totally out of character. <laughs> and my wife doesn't even. She's never okay. said, let's watch Little it House on the, the Prairie. Prairie. <laughs> I've never said, let's watch Little House on the Prairie. But I, I don't know why I did it. It's mm-hmm. just the weirdest thing. I haven't got an answer, but it was mm-hmm. like $49 on well, iTunes and I just binge purchased it. So the only thing I ever watched was the pilot. Hmm. So this is set in 1870, filmed in 1970. So, wow, like a hundred years later. So it's fifty years earlier. Yep. You know, filmed and then describing something that happened a hundred and fifty yes. years ago. So it's so slow. <laughs> it's like it's like you know how you're watching a movie today and it's like jump shots and reaction shots and explosions and car chases and even in a drama or a comedy it's like your face someone else's face someone else's face like boom 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 that's cinematography today the camera stays on ridiculously long like awkwardly long and then there's no plot it's like there was a squirrel today that is an hour-long episode for the pilot we think we saw a squirrel now what right like or we're gonna we're gonna put the roof on like that is the and and you know it just talked about a time where people really didn't have a lot going on and, and listen, homesteading is hard. I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I would die in 10 minutes. I, I understand that. All right. If I was on Survivor, I would vote myself off the island. So I have no skills. I'm out. I have no skills. I'm a pastor. So, you know, I, I, not I'm, not, I'm not trying to. But you know what I'm saying, right? Yes. Is, is like, it is just a different pace. Mm-hmm. And so I think that importance, like Tony and I have had some rules. Never right. had a TV in the kitchen, never had a TV in the living room. Mm. Once we did. And then uh, never a TV in the bedroom that mm-hmm. we try to have conversations. We try to mm-hmm. try to make those relational spaces mm-hmm. um, in the car. Mm. Um, we never got the DVD player for the kids mm-hmm. when they were growing mm-hmm. up because we wanted that to be about conversation. Mm-hmm. And so there have to be some no-fly zones. and some. So 90% of the time, my phone is on do not disturb. Wow. If I really need to take a phone call or a text, I will take it off. But like I miss all that stuff. And it helps me have focus. It helps me stay focused in the moment. And then I'll have a break in an hour or so. I will look and see I missed three phone calls and 20 texts. And mm-hmm. I'll catch up then. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I love about Didn't See It Coming is not only do you give us give us eyes to see and be aware of what's coming at us so that we're prepared, but you tell us exactly like the subtitle says, you tell us how to overcome those challenges. <laughs> Yeah, that's the idea. Like yes. for cynicism, right? You you have the gospel, which yes. is like it's almost the Jesus juke. Of course, the answer is Jesus. What else you got? Curiosity. Mm. The curious are never cynical, and the cynical are never curious. Mm. And so, so good, if curious. I can cultivate, but go you know, ahead. 
I think the cynicism to to be a curious person, you need to be enthusiastic about life. Right. And I think a lot of jaded people and cynics, there's nothing to be enthusiastic about anymore. How do you stay curious, Carrie? I think, see, and this is where in your prayer life, thank you. That that is a good question. It's a hard question. I think in your prayer life, you have to not give up. That hmm. there are days where you go to God and say, my well is dry, hmm. yours is not, I feel nothing, mm-hmm. but I'm not leaving. Mm-hmm. And I think you can have days like that. Mm-hmm. And then I think you need to you need to do what we talked about earlier, where you're like, okay, t- I'm going to make a new friend. Hmm. Like by Christmas, hmm. I'm going to have a new friend, or I'm going to go deeper with this one friend, and I'm going to open my heart, and mm-hmm. I'm going to go there. And then the little hack of curiosity has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. I want to be, because cynics, cynics don't care and they already know. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I know how this ends, Anne. Yeah, no, 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 I can tell you. If you launch your own podcast, this is the way it's going to go. And this is what's going to happen to you. And let me, I, I understand the business and blah, blah, blah. You know, that's, cynics are no fun. So they were seeing the tie of humility and curiosity together, right? Exactly. So curiosity yes. is like, huh, what it will tell me more. Or reading outside your field. Like I downloaded this bird app this summer just to cultivate curiosity. They have these things and it doesn't really work, so I wouldn't recommend <laughs> it. But like I, in my backyard and you and Daryl have been to yes, our backyard. Beautiful. Like, well, we have birds like in, in the spring. It's like it's you get waken up by those, woken up yeah. by birds. And so I want to start identifying bird calls. It's just this hobby that lasted four minutes. But um, <laughs> so I'm trying to record these bird calls and then I'm really listening for birds mm. And there was this one call that was like, whoa, I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Of course, you never hear it if you listen for it. And so I'm sitting there after my devotions, trying to read a book, trying to pay attention like at five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And finally, I identify the bird with this huge call and he perches like 20 feet from me. Still don't know. I think it's a wren. I don't know. They'll get that wrong. The birders, you can let me know. Because um, the app really was bogus. Totally bogus. But anyway, um, it's this thing like the size of your thumb, Anne. And when it lets out this huge bird call, its whole throat and body just like... And I'm oh. like, well, I didn't know that. And Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so how can something that small make sound that big so that that's what i call cross-disciplinary learning Mm -hmm. what do i know about birds pretty much nothing other than they're in my backyard and i'm going to learn some stuff Mm. or like study astronomy or study business or study something that you're not used to or listen to a podcast you've never listened to or next time you're talking to someone shut up and ask them the questions Mm -hmm. right and just like well tell me more like how did you get started or what's your greatest fear or and and i think the more questions i ask the more that opens my heart the more that opens my mind and the more it's just an antidote against cynicism for me wow wow and you know what that insatiable desire to learn, that posture of humility, it's contagious and it comes through on every page of this book, oh, Carrie. No, and I think if speaking with you and listening to you is inspiring, this book is even more so. And I really think it answers. Not only does it help you overcome the challenges, I think it, the whole book as a whole is an antidote to burnout, regardless of what lane you're running in. Yeah. Our mutual friend, John Acuff, asked yes. me one day in a green room, we're talking about burnout and he knows my story and the whole deal. He's like, so do you just have to burn out? Like, does everybody, like, is this inevitable? Right. Like, just pick your year in and you'll burn yeah, out yeah, right. too and blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and I think the answer is no. 
Hmm. And that's the hope. So it's a little bit of recovery for those who have been there. But, you know, if you haven't burned out, do you have to go down that road? I don't think you do. I think there are things I could have done Mm -hmm. in my 20s and 30s that would have made burnout avoidable. Now, God can redeem everything. Everything and does. And he has. And I learned my lessons the hard way. And I learned this one the hard way. The last decade's been a lot better. But I think you're right that, you know, your marriage doesn't have to be completely disconnected. Mm -hmm. That if you have a few simple disciplines, Mm. you can actually have a relationally rich, like one, okay, I I, want to pick your brain. Can I flip the mic? No. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I can. I'm going to. (laughs) It's your podcast. You can do anything you want. (laughs) Conversation. Mm. I I have this theory called the death of conversation Mm. where I have noticed, and I'm blaming social media and I love social media. I'm on it all the time. But where I think social media has made us all into many broadcasters. So, hmm. you know, we're used to like, oh, today I'm picking zucchinis or whatever I happen to be doing. Yesterday. That was you yesterday. <laughs> that's right. And, and, and you have a great garden. But anyway, so, you know, or I'm, I'm barbecuing the big green egg yeah. or whatever. And so I found in a lot of conversation these days that, and Tony and I, we, we've seen this again and mm. again, where we don't have to say a word. People just like broadcast at us. Oh, this and blah, blah, blah. And they don't ask us any, any questions. questions. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed that? I have noticed that. Mm. But I love, I think the world, my world grows richer when I ask questions of somebody. And honestly, you're right. A lot of times you don't even have to ask anything and people are just talking. But if we can create a space where people ask questions, we stay in a place of being enriched. And I'm not sure, is that a social media issue that... I don't know what it is. I think I've seen a change. I feel like huh. I got asked more questions a decade ago than I'm being asked wow. today. And so what are the ramifications 10 years out from this then? Well, if we just have people doing this where I'm talking at you Monologues. and you're talking yes. at me. So you tell me all about your vacation. And rather than asking you, oh, well, what was the best part or what was your mm. favorite food or how did the kids react mm. or that kind of thing? I just then monologue at you about my vacation yes. to try to one-up you or, or say, well, at least, you know, we went camping or whatever. Right. Right. So I don't know. I just, I just think curiosity mm. is the spark of great conversations. I think, you know, conversation when, when, when you're out for dinner with, with someone you love and there's no conversation left, what is that? Like, that's no fun. Well, I think when there's no conversation, we have bankrupted intimacy. Yeah. And I think we've we've negated any possibility of collaboration and synergy. Yes. I think yep. that comes out of a conversation as it, like the monologues, you're missing each other and only waiting for a space for you to get to talk, right? But mm-hmm. I think the great ideas are birthed out of great conversations. You're totally right. And that's the heart of collaboration is co-laboring. Mm-hmm, You're mm-hmm. doing this together. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, th- I think that's so true. So to me, you know, it's things like that. It's like staying curious. Mm-hmm. It's staying connected through conversation and real relationship. It is um, trusting again, believing again, working twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. Wow. That those are the things that have made these last 10 plus years so much better. And it's not like my life was a train wreck before God no, used no, it. No. And, you know, we, we, we had some incredible moments, but that doesn't mean it can't get better. And It can't get better going forward. Mm-hmm. How do we stay relevant at 45, 50, 55, 60? As the landscape of culture, the topography of things changes. So there's a theory 
out there, and this is like backed by researchers, mm. that says that your musical tastes are basically forged, hardwired into you at around, the age oh. varies, but around 23. And I would say really? that's true. Yeah. And for me, that was like a lot of Smiths and like late 80s stuff that is just depressing. So I've kind of moved on from that. But <laughs> our musical, that's why you see the guy with the mullet, you know, still rocking it out at 60. So 75, yes. yeah. And he's still listening to all that stuff from the early 80s wow. and the whole deal. And, and, you know, I think a lot of our patterns get set early in life. So mm. when you're in your 20s, mm. you are culturally current because you're swimming in the culture, mm-hmm. right? You you are the current one. You can't understand why your mom can't figure out her phone or why your dad oh, yes. is having trouble programming cable TV mm-hmm. or whatever. And you're like, are you kidding me? Just mm-hmm. give me the remote, right? That's, that's the average 20-year-old mm-hmm. or 25-year-old. Yes. But what happens is change is the antidote to irrelevance. And a lot of us don't like change. A lot of us wow, are like, Carrie. I'm an expert in my field. Mm-hmm. I know how to podcast. I'm not going to evolve. I'm not going to change. I'm, I'm, and so we just get entrenched, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the more successful you become, the more fearful you become. Because so good, so good, Carrie. Yes. Success. And then makes, we then we don't innovate. No, because success makes you conservative. Yes. It's like, well, if I don't write in this format, or if I don't use this format, we what get if very I'm very formulaic and stiff in everything that we're doing? Absolutely. So one of the mysteries to me, when when I started ministry, when I did pastoral visitation, is you know a lot at that time a lot of our church was elderly, and so I'd go visit these people. I was in my early thirties. Yep. They were they're fifty years older than me. And like, it was like walking into a museum, their houses. It was like shag carpet. Time stops. Oh yeah, time stop. Like, remember the brown appliances? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Like brown appliances yes. and gold appliances. And I'm like, do these people not know it's not 1973? Yes. Like, have people, nobody told them, did they not get the memo? <laughs> right? And then, and then I never understood that. And then, you know, Tony and I have been married 28 years. And, you know, first round, you're borrowing, begging, not quite stealing furniture, but you'll take anything from anyone just to furnish your house, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get into your 30s and you have a little money saved up and you go and buy your own stuff. But then it's maybe not the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And we hit 40 and it was like the first time that we could go out and like with actually our own money that we had saved, buy the furniture you want, right? It's a journey. It's a journey. And then, you know, it's all of a sudden it's 10 years old. And, and you're then, like, and then, and then, and then you have sunk cost bias because you're like, well, these aren't $200 couches and, and guess what? And they're not broken. Now we didn't have seven kids. You have seven kids. Yeah, Maybe sorry. they all yeah, broke. Yeah. Your kids are totally. amazing. But like, you know, then they didn't break mm-hmm. and it's like, well, are we going to keep these will last for 30 years? Mm-hmm. And that's how it happens. And so we just did a big reno earlier this year. And part of Your it is some of the stuff. Beautiful. Well, thank you. But, you know, that's all Tony and, and my mm. sister, Jen, who did it. But, you know, it's one of those things now we're going to stay current. And there was some stuff that needed replacing. Yes. So it was just an opportunity to, to do it. But I get how that happens mm-hmm. now. And that can happen in leadership. Yes. That can happen where all your ideas were how cutting edge. How do you overcome edge. that and can, like, intentionally fight against that tendency? You know, in many ways... It's a lot of what we talked about. The insecure will not want to change because mm. they're not open to new ideas. Mm. So it is that curiosity. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes a humility. It does take a humility. Because eventually, if you stay, like if you move every five years to a new job, you can always 
reinvent yourself. Mm -hmm. But like I've been in the same place for 23 years. Mm -hmm. So I've had to go to our church when I was leading the church day to day and say, okay, so remember all that stuff we did five years ago? Yeah, doesn't work anymore. We're going to change it again. Well, that's harder than changing what somebody else changed. Wow. And that means you've got to let stuff die. So I had this Canadian Church Leaders podcast. I let it die a few months ago because this one was growing so exponentially. And that one had like a lot of downloads, but it just wasn't producing what I hoped it would. So you're constantly reinventing yourself. And it's hard because at a certain point, you just ask yourself as a leader, like, am I not done now? Right. I've right, done, I've right. done, like, can I've we just arrived. be done? I've arrived. Yes. I am done. I am now Yoda. Come to the mountain and listen to me. And well, that's how you become irrelevant real fast. So change is the antidote. And I admit. The- how do you stay courageous enough to face change head on? Yeah. You know what? It's the why for me. So Mm. here's what irrelevance costs you. Irrelevance costs you the permission to speak into the culture. Wow. Yep. That's the price. Mm -hmm. So you're irrelevant. And, you know, one day you were talking to hundreds or thousands. The next day you're talking to 50. And soon there's five left. And you're all lamenting about how it's not like it used to be and whatever happened to the good old days and why don't people think like we think anymore? Mm-hmm. Because things have changed. That's mm-hmm. why people don't think the way you think anymore. And so I remind myself of the price and that by staying current, mm-hmm. I hopefully have some permission mm-hmm. to speak into the culture. And it gives me a lot of joys as you know a, a guy who's been in leadership, I'm in my 50s, that the majority of my listeners are young leaders. Mm, that right? when, when we break it down by demographic, there's an awful lot of 25-year-old, 44-year-old, 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds listening. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. This is fun. Do you have practices that you engage in on a consistent routine basis, Carrie, to fight against irrelevance and to, to keep stepping into the culture, to listen well to the culture? Yeah, I try to stay culturally relevant, just mostly these days through social and checking out what's happening. Honestly, a linchpin for me has been a younger team. Um, Wow. To always surround myself with younger people. So yesterday for the Connexus Strategic Planning, I was the oldest by a decade. And most people around the table were like 20 years younger than me. Uh, My team is all 15 to 30 years younger than me. In terms of the podcast and the blog, I have a twenty-year-old, a twenty-year-old executive assistant. I hired him when he was nineteen. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, do you? How do you? Are you giving him space then to push back and say like, "This is irrelevant." Yep. Yes. Yep. I think. I hope he feels he has that permission uh-huh. to say nobody really hangs out there anymore. What are you doing in that space? Um, and I hope my team has permission mm-hmm. to to push back. Of course, our challenge is everything's up into the right right now. Right. And so when that happens, and that's the you know the leadership principle of the sigmoid curve, is you have to be prepared to blow it up before you decline. You have to be prepared to change before everybody realizes you need to change. And that's hard for leaders hmm. when, when things are growing. So we are making adjustments as we go along and the team has permission. He's new. So, I mean, he's like three months in because Sarah, my long-term EA, who again is 20 years younger than me, um, has baby number two that she is caring for. And she'll be back, uh, I'm sure, next year. And uh, we want to make room for, for a lot of younger leaders on the mm. team. But really having those younger voices in your life. Otherwise, 
you're the 40-year-old club or the 50-year-old club or the 60-year-old club, and you're all going for lunch talking about why it's not the way it used to be. Yeah, not growing at all. No, totally not. Somebody picks up this book, didn't see it coming. They get to the last page, Carrie. What do you hope they've come away with? Uh, Two things. Yep. Insight Mm. into, wow, that's what's going on. Mm. Now I get it. That's on every page, You've been reading my mail. Yes. And then help and hope. I guess that's three. Help, like, okay, there's some actual practical steps. Like, if you don't want to be cynical, do this. If you want to stay relevant... Giving people practical tools do this. here. Yes. Yeah. If you want to guard against the emptiness, it's probably this, and this is where you need to go. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it's help, and then ultimately hope. Mm-hmm. Like it's not over. You don't have to stay in low grade burnout. You don't have to stay cynical. You don't have to stay disconnected. Like there, this is just because it's your present, or maybe it's been your past, mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's your future. Mm-hmm. So that's my deepest hope. That's what, you know. Mark Patterson has said. Every book sold is a prayer answered. And when I, I love Mark. I mean, you know Mark. I love, I love Mark. Mark. But when I heard him say that, sorry, Mark, I apologize. I kind of thought, oh, that's a nice Christian thing to say. Mm. But the closer this book gets to launching, the more I'm like, no, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I get it. Like mm-hmm. that, that it's a prayer answered. And mm-hmm. so I just hope it, it feels like hope. And I hope it oh, feels it like help. And you may feel as the author that every book that gets into a hands is a prayer answered reading this book for the reader is a prayer answered Mm. carrie i think it's your vulnerability on each page you have been very transparent about your own burnout and what that journey is like what would you say to somebody who's right in the midst of it right now it's not over Mm. this is this is not the end of the road um, it feels like it. it does. I re- oh gosh, it that does. summer of 2006, it was like I could not see daylight. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea what God had ahead for me. Yeah. Like but I had no idea I'd be sitting here doing look, this right? with you. Like, or, seriously. Like I, I had no yes. idea. And I think honestly, it's spiritual. Like, wouldn't the enemy mm-hmm. have loved Love to take you out? To take me out, yep. take Tony and I yep. out. Like that would have been fantastic. Yep. And and just don't quit. Don't quit. I think you're most tempted to quit moments before your critical breakthrough. Wow. Um, get help. Get some help. Tell a friend. Break the silence. And then just just hope again. And the other thing I, w- I would say, because I have another friend and I tell this story in the book, um, and, and it's public who it is. He said it's okay. But Jeff Henderson mm. was going through a really tough time a few years ago. Just, you know, his dad had died the year before yeah. and just, just some, some life, life issues yes. showed up. And I remember talking to Jeff uh, about it, he flew up here to Canada, and we hung out no. um, up in Muskoka. And we're walking down to the lake, and for the first time, you know, I'm telling him about his life, and he's asking me questions about my burnout, and I started to cry. Mm. And it was the first time I ever felt yeah. grateful for my burnout, where I realized that that was probably a gift. Mm. And and I said to Jeff, because he was on a 30-day sabbatical, he's like, this isn't going to be done by the end of the 30 days. Right? I'm like, okay, Mr. A-type, like, <laughs> hang on just a second, right? And I, I just remember saying to Jeff, hey, Jeff, if God wants to take you deep, it's because he wants to take you far. Oh, wow. Wow, And the Carrie. deeper you go, the further you can go. Because mm-hmm. if I had had a shallow recovery, right. a superficial, like what I wanted every day was oh. like, oh, I woke up, I'm doing great. No, mm. if you're willing to, if well, God's... This perf- book wouldn't have 
been in oh, our hands. Oh, I couldn't exactly. have done that. Yes. It was on the decades since mm-hmm. the reconstruction that I'm able to connect dots that mm-hmm. I was never able to connect mm-hmm. before that maybe is help or hope. So I would just say if it hurts and you've gone deep, it's probably because God wants to take you far. So, so don't give up. Don't quit. Don't short circuit it. And um, if you know somebody who's in the midst of burnout, hand them didn't see it coming. Yeah. Literally hand them hope. Carrie, can you what are, give some leaders some tools, some practical tools of how to combat some of the issues that they're facing preemptively before they mm-hmm. hit that burnout? I would say take... It's, it's, we finished the book on this, but it's that John Calvin quote, how he opens the Institute of Christian Religions. Mm-hmm. Without knowledge of self, mm-hmm. there is no knowledge of God. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Daniel Goleman took some of that 20 years ago and talked about self-awareness yeah. as a key to emotional yeah. intelligence. Yeah, yeah. But that is the stuff that holds so many of us back. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping, praying mm-hmm. the book will be a bit of a mirror. And when you look in the journey and you realize, mm-hmm. you know what? It's not your wife. Yeah, she's got some issues. It's not your husband. Yes, he's got some issues. But really, when you look in the mirror, mm-hmm. no, it's not just your church. No, it's not just your company. No, it's not just your employees, yeah. your team. No, it's not just the world. Mm-hmm. That there's a you in this. And if you can get you healthier, and if you can get you to a place where you own your stuff, you see, this goes everywhere. This is so portable. You're a better spouse if you're married, you're a better parent. You're a better leader. You're a better friend. You're a better citizen. Um, and I know, looking at my life, 12 years on the other side of, of burning out. And the whole book, just so you know, is not about burnout. That's just one yeah, chapter, yes. one section. But um, yeah, it's just, it's a lot more fun. And you know, my kids have read the book. And, mm, and, and their reactions, responses. Boy, Dad, you're pretty open and vulnerable yes, in this. Yes, you are. And you like, truly are. And my oldest, he he has just said to me, Dad, you're growing so much. Mm. Like, this is, this is, is he's really happy about it. Mm. And, you know, I've apologized to him, you know, the angry, cranky 32-year-old dad. Yeah. You know, yeah. Homer yeah. Simpson, angry dad. One of my favorite episodes. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, I had moments like that. Mm-hmm. But we have a rich relationship and a, and a great relationship now. And your kids see the progress. You know what it is, Anne? A lot of leaders, if you're not 28, you might think it's too late. I'm 35, I'm 42, mm-hmm. I'm yes. 55, yes. I'm 60. Yes. It's too late. It's not yes. too late. Your kids are watching, the world is watching, God's cheering you on. Um, you can make, like, think about it. If you have a 75 year old dad who's chain smoked his whole life, and then he calls you today and says, you know what? I quit and I've turned my life over to Jesus. Does that impact you? Yeah. How can it not? I know. And so, you know, you're 75 years old listening to this going, I've wasted my entire life. No, no you haven't. No, no. No, you haven't. No, you have not. No, and your kids are watching and your friends are watching and heaven is watching. So don't give up. No, and every single day for each of us is day one. We get wake is. up, fresh mercies, new every morning. We get to begin again. Carrie, I remember sitting up at your, your beautiful home with your beautiful wife, and you were talking about didn't see it coming, and how you have poured your heart into this book. And it's, it's everything that you would want to say, you have made sure is, it's in these pages. You talked about how your favorite chapter 
in this book is emptiness. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us why? <laughs> yeah, nobody else likes that chapter. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, they like it, but they're like, oh, it's a cynicism one or it's the right. pride yes. one or whatever. Well, it's hard but to choose. Carrie. You know what? For me, Anne, mm-hmm. and and I think you, I know enough of your story that you can probably relate to this. Like, I never thought that things would turn out as well as they have turned mm-hmm. out. That I would be able to do what I do, mm-hmm. not only on this podcast, but you know, in a blog that gets read by millions mm-hmm. of people and to speak around the world mm-hmm. and, and to, to, you know, that God is, has given me these opportunities that he's given me. And yet the nagging sense that rears up, not every day, but some days is just an emptiness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a day three years ago where 436,000 people read my blog in a single day. And it was just a post that I wrote that just truly went viral. You know, you think, you know, oh, this went viral. Yeah, well. And something goes viral and you're like, oh, okay. And the well, title of that pose, Carrie. Uh, you know, it was the same sex post. Oh, so wow. it was the, uh, I, I didn't put it in the book because I didn't want it to be divisive. Yes. But it was advice to Americans from a Canadian on same sex marriage. Wow, yeah. Carrie. And I've had other posts get read like a yeah. quarter million yeah. times or more. Yeah. But that one is, you know, within a week, it was like almost a million. It was, so it just, for me, that's big traffic. And so, you know, and I thought, wow, this is it. You know, we hit the jackpot, you know, the selfish, prideful part comes out. And then the next week I'm asking my, it's empty. And I'm like, well, now we're down to 10,000 people a day. Mm-hmm. And am I going to be happy writing for 10,000 people? Would mm-hmm. I be happy writing for 5,000 mm-hmm. people? Would I be happy writing? And, you know, that gets ugly fast. But there's an emptiness. And there's, I've always loved when I was a kid, I remember as a teenager reading the book of Ecclesiastes, mm. going, whoa, this is pretty cool. And over 40, Andy Stanley jokes, you should only read Ecclesiastes if you're over 40. <laughs> but I, I quote a lot from Solomon, mm. who really had it all. Mm-hmm. Like he was so, you know, we all think, oh, what would my life be like with money, right? Well, he, he had so much money, he devalued silver in his lifetime. Like imagine having so much money that, that you devalue, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. silver like or gold. That's mm-hmm. crazy. And, you know, he had everything he wanted, rightly or wrongly. And when world leaders came to visit him and see him for his wisdom, they it was better than the press reports. Like mm-hmm. that never happens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he had it all. And his conclusion is it's meaningless. Absolutely meaningless. And I'm like, God, give me that money. Give me that influence. I will try to <laughs> get to it. it I will do it better. Stuart and I will find meaning wise. in it. And of course, we know that's not true, mm-hmm. right? So what is that? And when I've really analyzed that in my own life, you know, on those days when I feel empty mm-hmm. in light of everything that God mm-hmm. has given, or even seasons where maybe mm-hmm. it's a bit drier, mm-hmm. I'm working for my kingdom. <laughs> that's the kingdom of me showing up mm-hmm. in, in my life. And Jesus calls us to die to that and to live to another kingdom, the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I find on days where I feel empty, that it is the kingdom of me, mm. the kingdom of Carrie, that's at work. And at days where I'm grateful, even with less in, in a particular season, it's because maybe the kingdom of God is at work in my life. And so, you know, the principle there is we all have to have a mission that is bigger than us. Yes. Even if you hand this book or the message to an unchurched friend, it's like, okay, maybe you don't buy the whole Jesus thing. I do. I think he's the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. But you just need something bigger than you because what I've realized is nobody wants to work for me. Mm, I'm not right. that exciting. I'm not. And I'm not that good. And I'm not that worthy of cause. Mm-hmm. But if we have a mission that's bigger than us, mm-hmm. um, people will rally together mm-hmm. to do that. So that that's like probably my ultimate 
self-check mm-hmm. is the the last section on emptiness that I just have to remind myself, Carrie, when you feel that way, it is the kingdom of you. And uh, the only wow. thing more frightening than dying to yourself is living for yourself. Oh, wow, Carrie. So, you know, it's like, drop don't live right for there. yourself, die yes. to yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Carrie, you have interviewed hundreds of leaders and spoken to far more. Can you synthesize, A, what you think is the greatest thing that leaders didn't see coming, Hmm. and B, what have you learned the most from those leaders? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think there's... Nobody's articulated it mm-hmm. this way, but this no, is but like connected dots. composite drawing. Yes, composite drawing. Yes. I would say they didn't know how hard it would be. Mm. And, you know, we sometimes see people on big stages or big organizations. It's true in corporate. It's true. And we think, oh, they got it all together. Mm-hmm. And then you get to know them and you realize, no, they have all the problems you have. Mm-hmm. They've just overcome them. So I think they are surprised by how hard Mm-hmm. It has been, and I think mm. how much you have to be on guard mm. against issues like the seven mm-hmm. that that I outlined in in and didn't see it coming. You know that pride mm-hmm. will just sneak up on you, and irrelevance will get you, and cynicism is hard to yes. stay hopeful. Yes, or even the emptiness that mm-hmm. comes with. Okay, I lead the biggest X in the community, the county, the country, the world. Now what? Mm-hmm. Right? Like that That stuff doesn't go away. That's mm-hmm. the soul stuff. And that is of the ages. That's mm-hmm. just not our generation. This is like, this is Solomon. Yes. Right? And so, so what helps with that is self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's the ability to process that in the middle of it. Mm. Rather than, you know, uh-oh, I did some disqualifying thing and now I'm not in the same position I used to be because they fired me or I had to resign. And now I'm learning all the lessons. It's like, I'm going to learn this in real time. Yes. I'm going to take this into my prayer life. I'm going to emerge a better husband, better dad, better mom, better, you know, whatever, better leader, better team builder. And, um, and I can do this in real time. I think that's what the ones who, you know, at 70 are better than they were at 50. Mm. At 50 are better than they were at 30. Mm. Those are the leaders who, who have figured this stuff out. In real time, rather than in the rearview mirror. And didn't see it coming, hands you those tools while you're still in the lane running, Carrie. Hope so. Yes, yes. Okay, and for you, Uh what have you learned the most from those those leaders, Carrie? What have I learned the most? That's Um, contributed to you being a thought leader. That we're all the same. Oh, wow. That, 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 you know, hey, I'm not as articulate, as bright, as whatever. But, like, at Mm. the end of the day... Hmm. The battle I'm fighting is the battle they're fighting. Wow. Is the battle that the leaders listening are fighting. That we're all... Humanity's a pretty big equalizer. Mm -hmm. And and the scripture gives us so much insight and wisdom into the the struggle. Wow, there is an event happening here in downtown. downtown Don't apologize for your town. (laughs) Lord, well, you get one be with whatever situation is happening there. Yeah. Yes. It but I think feels you... like we're in New York. <laughs> so you step outside. Um, 
I think you convey that so well in the book also because it's a challenge that no one expects. We're all the same. Nobody yeah, yeah. expected it and everyone experiences. And I think there's something <laughs> right. very comforting in knowing we are all the same. Everyone puts one leg into the pants in the morning and the other leg. In the like, Regardless of what our circumstances are, we are all facing those same challenges, Carrie. You're, you're completely right. So that's, that's my hope. That's what mm-hmm. I'm learning. And the journey isn't over. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a signpost along the way. And I think these are issues, honestly, that I'm going to be working on for the rest of my life. And I think I want to be more in love with Jesus, Mm, more in love with people, more in love with life, more in love with mission at 70 than I am at 53. I just want that. And I think you... That kind of enthusiasm is contagious. You read Mm. this book and you feel inspired and invigorated. And like someone literally has handed you the binoculars to see again, to see hope and possibility. And that it's not over, Carrie. There's a lot of good things still coming. You know what? Maybe that's what those binoculars mean. Oh, for me, Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just like, uh, we went through so many design revisions, but I'm like, yeah. And it's funny. In the well, fu- I think it also conveys who you are. You are a noticer and an observer. You connect <sighs> the dots in ways that a lot of us have missed. And those patterns are all evident in the pages of this book. See, you just explained the cover to me in a way. <laughs> I'm way too close well, to it. Well, no. I just think it, you offer an... Well, I look at those binoculars on the cover of Didn't See It Coming. You offer an insight that really is rare and uncommon, and you're giving readers a gift, a vision in this book, Carrie. So people listen to this podcast. Where can they go to learn more, Carrie? How can they track and follow? Well, the easiest way to get to the book is through didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Okay. It's available everywhere. Didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Okay, yep. Well, we'll link to it in the show notes. And then, of course, you can find all my stuff on Lead Like Never Before, Mm -hmm. so that'll get you there. Mm -hmm. But basically, what I'm excited about, my previous books are hard to get. Mm. Um, But this will be available, we, you know, everywhere books are sold. I want to walk through an airport and pick up a Carrie Newhall. That was part of the conversation we had. It's like... What would give this the chance of mm. making it to an airport? So we'll see. Maybe one day. Well, I think I think you walk through, didn't see it coming. Who doesn't need to know what's <laughs> coming at them, Carrie? And I think you've given a... What's one takeaway that you want to hand people today mm. as they leave this podcast that gives them hope, Carrie? Yeah. Let me think through that because there's, there's a bunch. I would say the thing that would give you hope Okay, I'll I'll leave you, rather than with the practical hack, something a friend said to me when I was Mm. at the bottom of, you know, when my world was collapsing in 2006. And again, nothing happened. It was just, I burned out. He said, the sun will rise again. Oh. And that's all I needed to hear that day, is the sun will rise again. So good. I often go back to my high school yearbook. Everyone has their quote that they have. And mine was, and it came to pass. Wherever you are right now, this will come to pass. And I think it's, it's wise to know that when, when it's dark, that it will come to pass. The sun will rise again. And two, when it's good, understand that this too shall pass. Uh. I will be grateful in this moment, but I will also be preparing for when it gets dark again, that I will remember that the sun does rise again. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Hey, let me ask you the final question. Oh, okay. what, um, what stuck with you the most? I think... Two things. I think it's your transparency and your vulnerability. I think you give the reader the gift of going first. The gift of 
here is what I've experienced. You're really vulnerable about what you didn't see coming. You're vulnerable about the burnout. Mm. You're vulnerable about how hard it has been. And I think lots of times as leaders, we can... um, Put up a front that it's going well. I, things are, I'm doing... Things I, are great. Things are, yeah, totally. And it's the gift of going first for someone to go, huh, can I slow down and be self-aware enough to see where am, um, where am I taking hits? Where are things starting to crumble underneath of me? Where is burnout starting to lodge within me and my work and my enthusiasm, my curiosity? And I think that process of you giving them the gift of vulnerability gives them the gift of courage to face. What, what, am I, what have I not seen coming that is now actually starting to um, disable my, me in my race here? I think that, that is, I think it's what your kids saying when they read your book, Ma, you've grown. I think you being vulnerable and transparent gives other people the courage mm. to sit down and say, where do I need to grow? And I think, Carrie... What is really helpful, I mean, it's easy enough to go ahead and say, these are the challenges that no one expects yeah, everybody yeah. experiences. But can you give people the tools to actually overcome them? That's the hard part. And I think you are a master at connecting the dots. Not only, I think what you bring to these pages, it's not just the wealth of your own experience, it's the wealth of everyone else you've encountered and experienced and connecting their dots also and seeing those patterns. So I think it's the practicality of this book. It's, a, it's one of the books I didn't expect to pick up this book and not want to put it down, Carrie. Hmm. I wanted to keep reading page after page after page because I think... Um, the warmth you bring to this podcast, it comes through on every single page, I Carrie. That. Now, I hope this book is is not only read and picked up in airports, but is read far and wide because I think um, who of us, I mean, I, talking to my dad this past week mm. at 65, can you hand people tools mm. so that they have the hope to get out of bed tomorrow, that they feel resurrected. for Their dreams are resurrected again. And I think that's what you're doing in these pages is resurrecting people's dreams because you hand them tools. See, it's going to be hard and there's going to be battles. Mm. What do you have in your hand, your toolbox, to go ahead and fight down the giants so that you can keep your eyes on the dream, on the purpose, on the calling? Well, I think thanks you- for that word of hope. You know, I'm hoping by having these conversations, mm-hmm. we can avoid all the other conversations that would happen if we don't talk about this stuff, right? which is, it's kind of over, <clears throat> or this isn't working out the way we hoped. Or the or, compromise has already happened. Yeah. And now, what and do now, we do? now you're yes. in reconstruction. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I so appreciate this. Oh, thank you so much. You no, are, you are a you. gift. No, thank you for being a gift to the church, for being a gift to this generation, for being a gift to leaders who impact nations around the world. Thank you for not only what you do in this podcast, because what you've really done is synthesize years of experience and all of the conversations into one book, Carrie. Hmm. And thank you. You're, oh. you're, you're making me blush. But uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciate you and your voice, too, mm. in the church. You're working on a book, right? Why don't we wrap Slowly, up with that? Can you talk about surely. it? Can I talk about it? <laughs> it's always hard, Carrie. It's always hard. I mean, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, my books aren't as brilliant as your books. Oh, come on. I am down plodding in break. the trenches. But I think, you know, I think what we're, it's funny. You talked about this book, your book, Didn't See It Coming, being about handing people hope and the tools to keep cultivating and growing hope in their lives. And the subtitle of my book is, 
I dare to hope in the way when there doesn't seem to be a way. Love it. So I think, you know, I think that really is in an age of cynicism, in an age of burnout, in an age of technological bombardment all the time. How do we dare to hope? And I think hope really is what we're all hungry for right now. Yeah. So pick up Carrie's book first and no, mine no. will be a couple years down the road. So here, but. One, one, okay, I always say last thing, last thing, last question. But this, this can I say this? And I don't want yeah, to embarrass sure. you, but oh. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. Every writer has a different discipline of how they write. And when you huh. told me how you write, Oh, I'm yes. like, like physically, how yes, you how yes, you actually yes, write a book. Yes, so I yes. want you to imagine, uh, listeners, <laughs> how you think Ann Voskamp writes her New York Times bestselling books. Uh, and on my knees. On your knees, <laughs> you know. I got I got pictures of like this amazing, and, and you've invited Tony and I to your house and everything. But like, tell us how you do it. Well, I have been in your office. Actually, I saw your senior office online before, and I thought, oh my goodness, Carrie, your office is dreamy. I have a complete office crush on Carrie Newhoff's <laughs> office. So mine is not as beautiful as Carrie's, but I actually write on a standing, with a standing desk and a walking treadmill. So I, I think it actually, well, research shows that as we're exercising, yeah. as we're walking, we're actually pumping more um, blood and oxygen to our brain. I think I think a lot better when I'm walking. Yeah, so you're actually on a treadmill yeah, walking writing at, walking at two miles, New York Times bestsellers. Yeah, whatever. I'm um, walking at two miles an hour. Um, and I think it's a, I was last week in Wheaton with Chris, um, Christine Kane, we're both in yeah. here, MA in evangelism and leadership. And Chris can hardly sit still all the time. Like, as you're talking, oh, about, yeah, my goodness. he's walking on the spa at lunchtime when you walk the track for like an hour. Um, I think the discipline, and you, I mean, you're out riding your bike all of like, I mean, yeah. that is a daily practice. And I think the more we can go ahead, it gives us time to think. I think it clears our brain in lots of ways. I think for me, that discipline of walking as I'm riding, <laughs> it sort of embodies. Can I say walking with God and waiting? I don't see myself as a writer. I see myself as a waiter. That I am waiting on God to show me what is the next thing for a fresh revelation and a word from Him. So for me, that actual discipline of walking embodies that. That's awesome. Well, I wish I could you, get my, my walking desk in such a great office as yours, Carrie. Well, you have a beautiful home. Oh. And I really want to thank you for oh. being willing to do this. This is huge. What? Crazy intimidating to flip the oh, mic with on. Carrie Newhall. No, 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 no. And I'll just drop it here. You're going to, you know, do your own podcast, right? Only if Carrie Newhall will co-host with me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should totally launch it. I think you should totally. No, I, it would... I, I, we can get it to number one on iTunes. Nobody is like Carrie Newhoff, so Come we'll on. just follow in your wake, sir. No, 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 no. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I totally think you have to do it. Thanks for this today. Oh, thank you, Carrie. Thank you for writing a book that hands people deep insights, profound hope, and courage for their calling. Well, once again, Anne, thank you. Thank you so much. Just thanks for your encouragement. Thanks for your friendship. It was uh, really great. You know, I'd, I'd heard about the farm. Uh, many different times, but to actually be there and to meet the farmer, Daryl, just a super guy. We spent some time with Anne and her family and her sister and brother-in-law and, uh, you know, just a real good connection of heart and mind there. And it's great. We're both Canadians. So literally we live two hours apart. How about that? Uh, and thank you so much. Make sure you check her out at annevoscamp.com. And uh, yeah, everything we talked about is in the show notes, including the links to Didn't See It Coming book, on this, the launch day, again, the audiobook is ready. I narrated it myself. 
which I almost always prefer to hear the book in the author's own voice. So all that is available wherever you get your books or didn't see it coming book.com. Yeah, go check it out. If you have any questions, happy to answer them. And I just want to thank you. Now we do have some special guests coming up this week. So tomorrow we're back with a fresh episode where I sit down in person with Erwin McManus and we talk about the things he didn't see coming in leadership. Then Jenny and Levi Lusco talk about uh, some of the biggest challenges they've faced in life. They talk about the death of their daughter and some of the other surprises that have happened in ministry as they built an incredible church in really the most unlikely of all places. Then next week, we're back with a regular episode. And why don't I just play you an excerpt from that? Next Tuesday, we are back with, are you ready for this? We got a, a killer lineup coming up. Nancy Duarte. Yeah, so Nancy is here next week, and she is somebody whose book I read over a decade ago when it first came out. She's given TED Talk. She's one of the premier communication experts in the world and really consults with 25 out of the 35 biggest companies on planet Earth and has advised 84% of all top tech companies. She basically writes their speeches, uh, writes their slide decks, advises them on communication strategy, and uh, she brings all that to you next week. So here's an excerpt from next week's, next Tuesday's episode with Nancy Duarte. And I remember one day I was like, I knew I was going to find the pattern. It was a Saturday. I'm like, honey, you go golf. I'm going to work in the office all day. And yeah. I saw the pattern. And I remember, I, I mean, it sounds melodramatic, but I thought if if I, if this could apply to Dr. King and a business person like Steve Jobs, then it works. So I did that analysis, fell to my knees, wept. <laughs> and I was mm. like, this is kind of a lot of responsibility. Then I, I looked at Hitler and I looked at Goebbels, his media guy, yeah. to see if it worked there too. And it did. And that was oh, where so I, for then good I got or for right, evil. Right. Then I got a little frightened and I was like, should I release this? Right. Then I was like, well, maybe this is just for me and not for the world. And and I did. I chose to I well, obviously chose to release it. And um, it I, I went really deep with the analysis because I didn't want to be challenged on it. I thought, oh, financial people will challenge it. Analytical people, scientists will challenge it. It hasn't. I mean, maybe behind my back it's been, but I haven't seen anyone say this is not true. Um, and so I did very deep analysis of everyone from Richard Feynman, the great physics teacher. John Ortberg, actually a lot of his. Oh, John, so, yeah. So he's in the book. Um, just I, I studied even um, – even Abraham Lincoln's um, Gettysburg Address follows this form, and um, it, it 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 works. Yeah, to boot, she was a pile of fun too. She's just just a great leader. So we've got Nancy coming up, Andy Stanley, Francis Chan, John Gordon, Patrick Lencioni, Max Lucado, Levi Lusco is back. Scott Harrison from Charity Water, fascinating conversation. John Ortberg just confirmed for this fall. Rachel Cruz, Daniel Pink, Adam Hamilton and so many other subscribers. You get that all for free. And uh, thanks again for trainedup.church and their partnership. Make sure you head on over there. Use the coupon code CARRY. Get 10% off for life when you check out. And uh, they'll book a free demo with you too. If you want to learn more, just go to trainedup.church. Thanks so much, listeners. Thanks for being part of the party. Got a couple more episodes coming this week with some fascinating backstory to leadership. Uh, I really believe that is the story of the age we live in because you can get a talk anywhere. 
Um, but you really want to know, okay, what was it really like to lead at that level? What was it really like when you hit this obstacle? You're going to hear a lot of that over the upcoming weeks. So we're super excited for that. Thanks for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.